You're listening to the Millennials Choice Show, Canada's most trusted podcast on all things real estate, finance, and entrepreneurship. Here's your host, Matthew Ablican. Welcome to another special episode of the Millennials Choice Show. We're going to talk about real estate, finance, and entrepreneurship. I might toss something your way to the guest today. Ooh, got a curveball coming today, guys. I don't know how the reaction is going to be, <laughs> uh, but I'm excited to hear the reaction. And I'm looking at the wolf, CEO of All <laughs> Tree Development, <laughs> Zev Mandelbaum. The wolf of Bathurst Street. Sorry, correct name, Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> Ooh, so I want to welcome to the show again. You guys are not strangers to the show, so thank you for taking time out of your day to be on here. CEO of All Tree Development, Zev Mandelbaum, and... Basically, the the glue that makes it all happen. The VP herself. The vice president. <laughs> Jordan DeBrincat, welcome to the show. Thank you, Thank you for having welcome. us. Welcome. Yes. And then obviously, guys, for those of you listening, if you hear a voice that sounds somewhat like mine, <laughs> it's Danny's. Danny, we're, we're on today. The better looking voice. <laughs> <laughs> guys, welcome. Seriously. We appreciate it. And there's a lot happening in the real estate market. There's a lot happening in the world. You guys have a lot of experience to bring to the table. We want to keep this light. We want to keep this fun. So, you know, give us a short, like two minutes, two minutes background, all tree developments, your experience. Let's get right into it. Oh, about like okay. taking away? Fine. Two minutes. <laughs> Preparation. Oh, <yeah. laughs> now, uh, third generation real estate developer, um, grandfather, sorry, a company called H&R, my father, Lantera. Um, I'm, my family's involved in many, many development companies. There are cousins from Medallion, Linvest, Davpart, Marlin Spring, all tree. What am I missing here? Firmland, um, pretty much half the development yeah. companies yeah. In, in, in Toronto. Uh, I grew up working in H&R, then went to uh, Lantara, worked for my dad. Still do work with my dad quite a bit. Then I founded Marlin Spring with my two brother-in-laws. Split off about five years ago as part of the succession plan. Started All Tree Developments. Um, today, we are a residential hospitality developer with like dozens of sites throughout Toronto. Um, Jordan has been with me from the very beginning. And we love what we do. We built amazing, incredible properties in different neighborhoods in our wonderful city. I'm the uh, owner of your properties I've purchased at your site, right? So I'm excited about that. Did you want to jump in there, Jordan? You want to throw anything else in there? No, I think Zev covered it. I mean, I don't, I didn't grow up in the industry. I kind of just came in with Zev about 10, 11 years ago. Um, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's a testament to still be in this industry. It's a very difficult one to be in. Um, definitely a lot of sleepless nights, but we love what we do, and we're looking forward to continue to bring homes to people of of great city of Toronto. Nice. How'd that happen, by the way? How'd you guys uh, meet? Oh, the curveball! Only <laughs> first one out. <laughs> so just so you know, we're both married, but not yep. to each other. Separately. <laughs> I have three children. Um, I have another wife, and I say another wife because Jordan's also a wife in many regards. <laughs> Jordan has another husband. <laughs> yes. Um, by the way, we met both of them. Shout out to both of them. Lovely people. Yep. Yes. Zoe right, right. is incredible. And so is John. Um, you know, they say we look good together. 99% her, 1% me. Um, <laughs> the, I gave you 1%, eh? I mean, it's more like half a percent. So he's just, he's just being like, I gave it when I was 12 to shit. But they gave me the 1% when I was 20 pounds skinnier. So I don't know. Now that I've gone some COVID weight, I'm not sure, right? Um, Jordan's mom worked for my dad and still does work for my dad for something like 20 years. Okay. Um, so she, she was in Lantara. We both started working in Lantara together mm. as little kids. And we grew up in this industry. Um, she said she didn't grow up in the industry, but she actually did. 
Um, but we grew up from the Ontario Times working together. We went to Marlon Spring together. So we've done the, the, the moving along the industry together, building together for well over the last decade, if not a yeah. couple of decades. That's awesome. I think it's very important though. Like when you are dealing with a developer builder, you want to know their, their family roots. You want to know where they come from. Because oh, absolutely. It's a legacy thing yeah. for us. So, you know, I'm third generation. Our family's up to G5. Um, so fifth generation, I have three kids. I can't screw up the legacy now. Um, and Jordan's same. So what happens is, is you get into this concept of quality. You get the concept of, you know, yeah. pushing the boundaries on creating a good project. So funny, we were in a conversation just yesterday with someone senior. We're talking about which developers do a crappy job and which do a good job on the end cell product. Like how good is the finishes? What, did, what conclusion did you guys arrive And they were like shocked by one of our projects like 36 or how how much emphasis we're putting into the finishes yeah. and um how good quality they are and the answer to jordan was is, and to me was is you build a building once it's a legacy it's got to be perfect we're not like in that. and out for the big buck it's not like tomorrow i'm going to do widgets or i'm going to have a different career path this is basically been in my blood and been in our blood since the onset it's going to go on forever we're continue doing what we're doing so we got to have a product that stands for itself because at the end of the day, that's what people are going to see. That's what they're going to know you for, right? The end product. So it's super important. And I just want to say something that you mentioned about Jordan. You remember your speech at the CN Tower event? Which, by the way, great memory. We're never going to forget it. Good. Lots happened that night. I know. I haven't actually not been in the CN Tower before that since I was like five years yeah. old. Us too. Same. It was, it was a long time. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, Danny had a long night of making sure we got to the subway. <laughs> and to be honest with you, 25 years ago when I was 10 years old, it was a different view. Mm. Probably, yeah. For sure. Yeah. yeah. But uh, do you remember your speech? Of course. Do you remember the... Sure. But do you remember the... Call the hell, man. You know the Come comment on. you made? I mean, we won't say the car here, but remember the comment that you made about... Oh, go Leafs. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, didn't work out so well that night. <laughs> well, I remember with Jordan, you know, being the, the, the person that, you know, you go to Zev and say, look, Zev, we... we it's what, what lasting impression are we leaving mm -hmm. our, our buyers with, other people in the industry with, et cetera, et cetera. And then you said something, you made a, a very funny comment. And if you remember it, I literally spat out my drink when you made that. <laughs> if you, I'll tell you off camera, because it was hilarious. And, you know, I almost made a fool out of myself in front of the two burglars that were in front of me that caught my mist. Okay, now I'm like searching my mist. You will have a laugh. I just don't want to say on air that it'll be, it's funny. No, no, do it off air conversation. Trust me, definitely off air conversation. Okay, yes. Cool. But that's, I say that it's so important about knowing where you guys come from because it's it's kind of that old saying like with history, you know, it repeats itself most of the time. But at the same time, if you know where you're coming from, you know where you're headed. And so it's great to see that that's a legacy you guys are building. Are you going to want your respective kids to be a part of this industry one day? Or So I can say I'm one of 27 grandchildren in the Hofstetter dynasty. And not all of us have entered in the industry. But uh, obviously it's something that you would hope for. But you never want to push a kid yeah. into what's not best for that kid. You want that first kid to make their own decisions in life and to be able to be their own person and choose who they want to be. So I, I certainly don't want to put pressure on any of my children to have to follow in our footsteps or whatnot. Should I hope that they do? Well, listen, it's a legacy and hopefully it continues for generations and I'm sure it will, but uh, you always have to do what's best for that person. Absolutely. So we had the mayor Vaughn on our show. We did a great episode with the mayor Del Duca. He mentioned how they committed to this whole action plan, housing plan initiative that the premier has put out there. And the city of Vaughan is committed to 42,000 homes over the next 10 years. Or I shouldn't say homes, I should say 
real pieces of real estate could be condominiums could be single family homes townhomes etc mm-hmm. um what are your thoughts on this new initiative from the premier maybe some of the backlash she's been receiving from different mayors and different uh and different councillors from different municipalities what are your thoughts as a developer I think that there's no question about whether or not Toronto, Vaughan, and I want to talk about the GTA as a whole, needs housing. Um, I think they, you know, from the backlog of COVID, they had, you know, hundreds of thousands of immigrants approved to come into Canada, but obviously it took a little bit of a slowdown during COVID. Um, But those immigrants still want to come here. And I believe that they let, there, there was a backlog, and I think a lot of them kind of came through, and they let in more than what they were anticipating. They all need a place to live. Um, and, and the reality is, is every mission and every vision of a developer is to provide homeless for people, whether it's an investor who's looking to rent out, whether it's someone who's looking to, to, to move into it. I think all municipalities putting a, 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 a importance on committing to a certain number of homes is very, very important. But you also got to understand is with the amount of bureaucracy and stuff that we deal with as developers, is that truly feasible? Well, what do you mean by bureaucracy? Let, let's hear it because a lot Can of I people, do. a lot of people look at developers, I'll be honest, and I defend you guys a lot because number one, we work with you guys a lot. But number two, we know the kind of people you are. So any business is in it to make money. Whoever doesn't think that is not running a business, they're running a charity. So at the end of the day, you guys get painted as this big, bad wolf <laughs> not intended, <laughs> but it's not the case. Most of the time, it's not the case. So well, if we were just in it to make money, we would do something else. I agree. Because there are easier ways to make money. The returns are, are okay, but they're not like, you could, there's a lot easier ways to make money than to be a developer with the route the risk you take. people think you're making like billions of dollars. No, it's called billion. placemaking. Yeah. What we do is placemaking. It has two points to it. There's a money aspect to it. But I'm going to quote William Zeckendorf, who's probably one of the biggest developers or most famous developers in New York City, who built everything from Worldwide Tower to many other buildings. And one of his most famous lines that describes development is, you don't develop for the money. You develop to develop. The money is just a way of keeping score. Makes sense. And that's what it is. Because I'll tell you one thing, it's great to make money at all. But when you develop that drug to develop of seeing accomplishment, it's about accomplishment. It's about taking something from nothing and creating something to it. It's an art piece. It's creativity. It's mastering the concept of create, creating something beautiful, just like an artist does. Money obviously is a driver to it, but money is really a way of keeping score. It's not the ultimate. I mean, the ultimate way of, there's a lot of other businesses. It's that concept of satisfaction of coming down and seeing something today that looks decrepit creating a vision in your mind and executing on that vision and all of a sudden turning around and next time you drive by, you have a landmark, you have an art piece. If you've created a Lego tower as a kid, you have that same endorphin. If you've created a project in high school or in college, or if you painted a painting or if you built a treehouse, or even if you actually managed to cut the grass in the entire yard, you actually have that sense of satisfaction where you turn around and you see the garden. That's the satisfaction, that endorphin is really what drives me. Um, I'm sure Jordan drives you too, to see what you've built, to create that painting, those layers that you were able to put together to change, that is the real driver behind it. So back to the, you know, bureaucracy part of that, that's, you know, impacting the business. We, we understand now, like the business side of it, it's not just for profits. You, you bring in a whole different perspective because there are builders that are out there. Ju- their only purpose is, I just need to make money. This is the way I know how. But you're coming at it from a whole different angle, which I think is very important for consumers. This is going to make yeah. me sound like an arrogant asshole. 
but I don't need to make money. I was going to say, I was going to say at this point, Gen 5, you know, you're, you guys have made Yeah, th- right? you know, listen, it, well, that speaks volumes. Always good to speak more, don't get me wrong. <laughs> oh, for sure, but it, it's about more than that. Yeah. There's a, it's a different driver, right? But there are it's other developers. Purpose. Yeah, but there are other developers, correct me if I'm wrong, where they just do it for the money, right? And is that usually what you where you find people focusing on the wrong thing, whereas, you know, they don't really care too much about the detail? Absolutely. That, um, people definitely focus on the money, but the, these are long-term projects. It takes years and years to get paid. So it's a game of patience as well. Where I find that most of the time it gets lackluster is because people just lose patience with the system. Got it. It's very aggravating. Mm. It's like for every door you find, there are 10 walls. And for every step forward, there are 10 steps back. Wow. So you have to have a lot of stamina. Now, thankfully, I'm sitting next to a woman who has the most stamina <laughs> when it comes to dealing with pain in the asses. But um, you can speak to Jordan about that, what it takes on a daily basis of how many setbacks to move a building forward to get to the finish line. I think where the details go is that by the time you get to the finish line, you're so burnt out and you're so tired yeah. and you're so frustrated that sometimes you're like, ah, screw it, let the details go. And the developer who makes it in the last mile is the one who has the perfect product. Mm. Yeah, because I feel like you guys have this cycle and we're going to get back to the bureaucracy for sure. But- yeah, I don't want to put this in a bad context, but someone told me a great line. They said, the Leafs are like the Titanic. <laughs> They're great until they hit the ice. <laughs> The Leafs did it really well this year, but they didn't make it to the finish line. If you get tired when you're at the end, and that's what happens with the Leafs, they always start off great, they do great, but then in the end, they just lose in the playoffs. If you can't make it through the playoffs, that's what separates you from the, from the real winners. And to be the real winner, it's not the first 80% of the project, it's the last 20% to get through. Yeah, it's like you guys have this cycle of like, okay, we acquire the property, we have the vision, Everyone's excited. There's so much momentum. Then you just start doing marketing. Then it starts coming to life on paper and there's sales involved and there's parties involved and there's this like huge, like just momentum forward. And then you, you get the sales. Now you get construction financing or you start construction already and you're building the building and throughout it, there's all these problems and you kind of start correcting if I'm wrong, going like feeling like this until like the end. And it's almost like, I just want to be done and out of this building and move on. But as you're saying, that's where that's where the pressure really is to now rise above that and, and deliver something spectacular. Perseverance. Yeah. Perseverance, baby. One of the things that I think, and I'm probably one of the co- most consistent people I've ever met. And if you know me, if you've seen my notebook, look, I'm very consistent. I write with one color pen. I don't want anybody else writing my notebook. I'm very consistent. And I think one of the quotes that I live my life by, and I think it really goes to show what we do on a daily basis is without confidence and commitment, you'll never start, but without consistency, you'll never finish. If you're not consistent throughout every aspect of the project, whether or not it's in terms of your vision, whether or not it's in terms of your attitude, your relationship with people, your willingness to deviate from a change, because in our business, there's changes and there's problems in every retrospect, you'll never finish. You need to have the same level of consistency from the beginning until the end. And if you don't have that, you'll never finish. That's why a lot of people get tired out not being able to see something through because that consistency with them is just not there. And I really think that that's what makes each developer different. I think where Altree has really, you know, be able has been able to shine is we know who we are not mm-hmm. and we know who we are. And therefore, when you know who you are, you know who you can't compete with and frankly, who you don't want to compete with. 
We don't necessarily want to compete with the big developers that are downtown Toronto because we have something to offer in a different area that they don't have something to be able to offer in. Mm. And I think when you're really finding what your niche is, that consistency and finishing is that much higher of a success percentage because you're in an area and you're in, you, you are working in something that you naturally excel at. The reality is, is finishing a building is very difficult. And even when a building is finished, our job is not finished. We have obligations. We have guarantees that tarry on guarantees are for seven years. That's a really long time. Considering that to get to a point of being able to start construction is usually anywhere from four to five years. Then you have construction, which takes anywhere from four to five years. You're at 10 years. Then you have seven years after that to be able to have a tarry. That's 17 years of somebody's life. That's a really, really long time. And if you don't have consistency to be able to see it through, you've really lost the game. And I think that's what a lot of people don't have is they don't have the stamina. They don't have the consistency to be able to see something through. If we revert back to something talking about the bureaucracy, I always like to bring a really great example of, you know, zoning a building here versus zoning a building in in New Jersey. Okay. Um, We have a a, a site that we work on in in New Jersey um, and the zoning um, took three months. And when I was there zoning the building, they were like, oh, we're so sorry about the delay. And I'm like, what <laughs> delay are you talking about? And they're like, oh, normally it, it shouldn't take this long. I was like, I just want to tell you something. And this will just show you the bureaucracy. I said, maybe I, maybe five years ago, it would take maybe 12 to 18 months to, to zone a project. And that was comfortable. And if you were able to zone it in less than a year, you were like, holy shit, I won the lottery. The reality is now, and it takes 18 months to 36 months to zone a building. And when I told them that, they were like, there's no chance in hell that that's how it works in Toronto. And I'm like, no, no, no. Those are the timelines that we perform on. Those are the timelines that we need to make sure that are in our timelines, because obviously we're going to get into interest, I'm assuming, in this conversation. Interest is a killer. And if you're not budgeting for it, yeah. then you've already lost the game at that point as well. I think that explains the bureaucracy that I'm talking about. It's with respect to timelines. There's a solution to every problem. I'm a firm believer of that. Whether it's time, whether it's money, whether it's aggravation, there's always a solution. And there's a solution to dealing with all the red tape that has to do with the planning regime and both the GTA. And it's honestly time and relationship building. And I'm a firm believer of that. I think that if you perform at the right amount of time, and you know how to deal with people. Our business is 100% people focused. And if you don't have that skill, this is not the business for you. It's not about sitting behind a computer and getting things done. It's about picking up the phone when push comes to shove and saying, we have this problem. We're gonna solve it here on the phone. We're not gonna go and try and say, oh, I gotta get it to this person. It needs to go above this person. No, no, we're gonna find a solution. We're gonna talk about it right here. We're gonna have a handshake and we're just gonna both execute whatever that solution is. And I think, as long as you're budgeting for those things and you're budgeting for the proper time and understanding that relationships and those types of reputations take time, I think all of the red tape starts to make sense. But I think just that example of how long it took us to zone something in New Jersey versus versus in Toronto, and that was five years ago, that's the type of bureaucracy that I'm talking about. Yeah, and do you think, so two, two part question. So first of all, New Jersey is more of a democratic state. Yes. Right, so it's not that much different from Toronto, Toronto, yes. In that sense. Yeah. Um, do you think that incentivizing the municipalities to create more housing or approve more housing would kind of speed up the process? I think that there's a fundamental problem is that just the city is just very understaffed. I think that there's a lot of projects that are underway. There's only so much that a few people can do. And a lot of the 
the, the, the staff that are working there, they're not incentivized to get things through faster. Mm-hmm. There isn't a, you know, a, an, a, a, I don't like to say acknowledgement or any of those things kind of work for the city and I don't know what they're, how, how the kind of in- intricacies of, of working for the government works. But I don't think there's no incentivization to be able to get things through. Mm. Whereas if, you know, Zev were to call me and say there's a deadline at five o'clock or there's a deadline Friday end of day, I'm there until 1159 trying to make that work. Whereas yeah. someone for the government at 459 is looking to turn off their computer. Yeah. Two very different mindsets because a deadline to me is could potentially mean losing millions and millions of dollars, which obviously hits. I, I don't think we're going to fix the world. I don't. I don't think that the world is is. I think there's an opportunity here. And if there's one thing we've said so far, it's about consistency in motion, right? Subaru. Right. Anyways, consistency is what really matters, right? That's how we got through these 17 years. And inevitably, a developer will be through his project through at least one, maybe two cycles of the real estate market, okay? Yet the consistency got him to the end. So we're, we're seeing a pattern here where consistency gets you to where you need to go. Where's the opportunity? Because that's what we're looking for. Well, the more homes the municipalities bring, and that's great that Vaughn's going to get more homes, will help the problem not get worse. Because there's so many homes that are needed, and there's so many things that are needed that it won't deteriorate as badly. But will it get that much better? Will it make homes more affordable? Absolutely not. But why do you say that now? Because it's impossible. Because of the taxes, development, Charlie? The entire country of Canada, the entire system of Toronto, from the labor laws to the commodity laws to development laws to the taxes that the government relies on from the development and the amount of taxes that they're getting from it to the amount of homes they require they can never catch up i don't think enough people realize how much the taxes are can you give us an example of your condo units if you have an eight hundred thousand dollar unit over three hundred and fifty thousand dollars of it is going straight to the government between development charges on education development charges section 37 money cbc now all of that, you add it all up, and that's not even including your land transfer tax that you're paying at the end and the HSD. But couldn't you, couldn't one argue and just say, look, like government, you're talking about affordable housing. You like to throw this phrase out there just to get votes. Like, if you really want to do something about yeah, it. Yeah, if they really wanted to do it, they would have no development yeah. charges and no HSD. If you develop in New Jersey, for an example, there's no HSD and there's no development charges. You know, in Miami, downtown Miami, how much charges parkland, everything, all the levies. How much do you think it is per unit vis-a-vis the $350,000 here? If I had to guess, knowing what we know here, our limited knowledge, I'd probably say close to like what, it's downtown Miami. I'd say it's probably close to what we're paying here. $11,500 a unit for a high-rise tower in downtown Miami. Wow. That same unit here, 300 and change $1,000. So so now what do you say to the buyer who says- 30 times? That's what the government's taking from here. But where's the opportunity, Matthew? Because that's what we care about, right? I think the opportunity is one of us runs for mayor. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think it's going to change that much. And you know what? As much as nice as it would be, and as nice it would be to fix the city and get it moving faster, and I think that should be our goals and our lofty goals and certainly bringing more homes, I don't think affordability is something in Toronto that will ever be achieved. It's not achieved in Miami. It's not achieved in Tokyo. And it's not achieved in London. And it certainly is not going to be achieved in Toronto. And thereby, what you are investing in is in a commodity that is just getting more and more scarce. Yeah. Real estate is real. It's tangible. It's fungible. It's something that is real. And that, no matter how much they say that they're going to produce a million and a half homes over the next blah, 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 
if they can get to that number, great and wonderful. It's never going to happen to get fully to that number. The population is just going to keep growing. It's going to get more and more rare. And even though they're producing more homes, which is great for developers to get into the business and continue doing it and great for purchasers to find new assets, you are investing in a commodity that will always, throughout the long period of time, the ups and downs will become more and more rare, more and more unique, and more and more expensive. So when you invest with consistency, you will eventually win. So one thing that, that people say about a developer, like they'll say, okay, well, if the developer was given an incentive, let's say the development charges, just an easy number, were cut in half, right? But there was no oversight by the government. It was just cut in half. And it was your job now to ensure the units were more affordable. Some people will argue that, well, no, people have, consumers have gotten used to this price. Even on the back end, if the, the charges are now cut in half, the developer is probably still going to come out at that price, just pocket the difference. Well, no, no. What's going to happen is if the development charges are cut in half, the construction costs will go up to match. You see, projects always make the same return because the variables that are there, there's so many of it and there's so many people seeing it. If you say, hey, you know what? The development charges are going to be cut in half. It should be passed to the consumer. Well, half the trades are going to say, hey, you know what? I can make a few more bucks in drywall. I can make a few more bucks on my kitchens. I can make a few more bucks on my plumber. And those prices will rise pro rata. Well, the market equilibrium of price and demand, basic microeconomics will tell you, supply and demand is always going to match the equilibrium price. What someone is willing to pay, that's how it's going to be charged. Who makes more money in the interim is probably not the developer, it's everybody else along the way. Right? So there is no solution when it comes to making more ho affordable homes for consumers right now, especially in Toronto. Oh, there is one solution. Yeah. And the solution is making it available for people to be able to afford the mortgages. And the way to do that is to get rid of a stress test. The way to yeah, do that is, is to buy down the rates. So for example, if the Bank of Canada is nervous about a rate and they need to have high interest rates because of, you know, they're worried about inflation, that's fine for goods and services. That's fine for, for, for you know, operating businesses. But the person who needs to buy a home should get a rate buy down from the government. The government should buy down the rate as respects to residential. Just like CMHC does that, but they should do it for with, with that being said, don't you think that'll just cause even greater demand and as a result, just kind of spread that gap between supply You need and the demand because you need people to buy homes to build more homes and to yeah. build more homes, you need it for people to live in. All people who are investing in buying condos, what they are doing is they're creating rental stock in the city that the city needs. Yeah. Purposeful rental is very rare today. It's very hard to do. Um, there's HST charge on purposeful rental, which makes it also very difficult to build financially. Condos is purposeful rental. And the more buyers you have, the more investors, the more units you have, the more rental stock you have. Yeah, and actually one thing I would argue like against against like what you're saying about um, about uh, what were you just mentioning about the... Well, if the rates get, let's say, the rates, down. No, the one thing I would mention about the, the interest rate is that what Zeb is saying, it's like the rate, they're trying to tame inflation, quote unquote, but then they're printing money and sending it wherever. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> and then that's another conversation. But that's an aside. But the but the interest rate conversation is 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 interesting when it comes to mortgages because they're trying to tame inflation, but the mortgages are getting more expensive. Yeah. So housing is actually becoming more, more expensive. expensive. Exactly. So they're actually doing the opposite of what they're trying to do. What they're really saying is, is we want inflation to come down and housing to come down. Yeah. So what you're doing by raising interest rates there is you're making housing more expensive, but you're bringing down inflation. Now, 30% of your home is generally spent on your, your cost of living. It's almost 50%, which means that the biggest problem in your life is your cost it's of housing, cost of which is more than the deflation they're, crazy, they're creating by lowering their rates. That's true. So really what needs to happen is it has to be a split system. 
there has to be a system to address inflation as it relates to supply, as it relates to supplies, goods, and of course, groceries and, and critical items in your CPI bucket, such as gasoline and yep. things like that. But then housing has to have a separate incentive and the government has to create an incentivized program within conjunction with the Bank of Canada and the, and the CMHC to say, hey, if you're buying a residential homes, the mortgages is a rate buy down. And you know what? Yesterday we had a conversation with someone in the 80s and 80s where mortgages were 21%. They did the same thing. The government had bank buy, buy down rate block mortgages to 11%, which sounds crazy, but the concept is the same. Got I it. was here in Canada? Yeah, yeah. in the oh, 80s. Wow. I didn't know that. So what happens is when the rates are so high, you have to understand was where should the rate be high? Yeah, if I'm going to borrow money to grow a business, to bring in more commodities and we're nervous about labor, okay, maybe that segment of the labor market has to slow down. But the homes market, where people buying homes, that has to come down. Now, Dan, you're going to look at me and say, hey, but homes is the biggest supplier of jobs. Right, so there's a healthy balance yeah. to make it work. But at the current moment, you're killing more people than you're helping with deflation. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So do you guys agree that there should have been some sort of rate hikes in 2022 but maybe not as aggressive like we talk off air sometimes about one percent two percent should have never i think it should have been higher (laughs) no yeah you ship more rate hikes yeah why because i was at a cibc dinner with a lot of the ceos in the industry and victor dodek ceo of cibc was there and benjamin tall was there and they spoke and this is at the 49th floor of cibc square and benjamin tall's opening statement was if there was an ai based banking system, Bank of Canada, they never would have raised rates because inflation had already tamed. And he showed you on the labor curve and he showed how the labor curve was down already, was starting to come down and inflation, and the true inflationary number had actually gone down back to their target. Wow. So if you well, were to let- When was this in 2022 beginning? 2020. This was last week. No, I mean like when he's showing the curve. Oh, now, today. Like oh, today. As of today. today. Yeah. So he said that yeah. last hike that the Bank of Canada did was completely unqualified for and they overshot. So he said, why did it happen? And he said, I spoke to the Bank of Canada. I spoke to Tiff Macklin, but why did it happen? Mm. Because they are human and they were influenced by the media. Wow. So here you have a Bank of Canada that's very humanistic, not looking at data anymore. Hence, the economist is telling you, it's working. It's doing its job. Just stop. Start actually lowering rates, he said. And yet you're not doing that. You're doing the opposite. What does that mean? It means that you don't have a backbone. You are scared. And because you are scared, you are reacting to the media. So if that's the case, then you have to raise rates faster so that the media turns so that public opinion tells you, you did enough. Stop mm-hmm. it. You're not going to be blamed for lowering rates now. And that's what you need. You need the media to wake up and influence the Bank of Canada because obviously that's what's happening. Because the true economic standpoint of our country is inflation is already under control. The city has balanced itself. So the prediction, according to Benjamin Tal, was that this September, they're going to realize they overshot and the market's going to take off and the real estate market's going to take off. And that was his ending statement is, guys, be ready because the market's going to take off in September. Sorry, just to jump in there with what he said, he thinks that they overshot, market's going to take off. So they, he's assuming they're going to bring their rates down? Rates or? are going to come down in 2024, according to him. But they're going to stop raising them. They're going to stop raising them. Yeah. But they overshot, meaning now you're going to have very big deflation. Recoil. Yeah. Recoil. The demand is too high right now because, of course, there's not enough stock, as we know. The market's going to take off again. Do you guys buy into any of the? Uh, you want to say something? I know, but do you want to? Do you want to? Do you guys buy into any of like the conspiracy theories of this is a manufactured way to just crush the economy, create a absolutely? Larger- I mean, think about this. You are raising rates because the labor market is too tight, which means that, and, and, infl- and wage inflation is too high. So 
People all have jobs and they all got raises. So we're punishing them. Yeah. How ridiculous does that sound to you? Extremely ridiculous. And also, if you're going to say, you know, the minister of finance, the previous one who was saying, we're looking at the savings accounts of Canadians and we're really assessing the situation. It's like, what do you mean by that? Like, why? Like, just because people why have savings, they punish them. Why would you yeah. The economy's exactly. too hot. We're making too much money. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> go for Like, oh, only doing two of them No, I agree. Okay, so you guys, yeah, you you, you buy that. Yeah, right so they're nervous about inflation taking off. Okay, so you have to control inflation, but inflation should watch, should match wage growth. If wage growth was really at 5%, then inflation should be 5%. What the hell is 2% target? Where did that come from? Yeah. Even Benjamin Tom is saying, what the hell is 2%? Why? Because you made it Why active? 2%? Because it said it in a book 20 years ago when we didn't even have cell phones like come on not only is it made up it's so manipulated with the basket of goods and services that they they decide on how to you know include in that but also it's like okay guys then you you understand that there is a money supply issue too you guys are injecting money then you're taking money out and there's quantitative quantitative easing but there's quantitative um there's meddling there's some meddling meddling. it's like you guys are manipulating that number and unfortunately you're just going to hit in the media, you're gonna hit the the people with, oh, it's inflation, it's inflation. Yeah. But then, how do you like, how do you justify? Maybe this is a question for someone else, but like, how do you justify as a government saying you got to pay more on this? But then we're gonna, the you know, what you're paying for basically, because inflation to me is a tax. Yeah, the, or it's human error. Like, it's this like, is all human error, and that's what he was saying. And he, and I, I think, listen, no one has a crystal ball, but. What he was saying was, there's so much, <laughs> there's so much human error. There's yeah. going to be a come to realization moment where you overshot on the rates. Two percent is not your target, anyways. Even though you've already shot the two percent, and because now your inflation is below where it should be, the market's going to take off again. But do you guys really think them increasing the rates last year really had an impact on Canadians that had fixed rates locked in? You know, during the beginning of COVID, at like one percent. Uh, listen, obviously there's a there's an impact, but let's yeah. look at the I real issues. Or it so immediate. Or you know, rate mortgages with static payments. Where the sorry to interrupt, where they don't change, right? I don't think people have really felt it, right? I don't Unless think people renewing. felt the immediate impacts of it, but they did feel it when they went to the grocery store. It was costing them an extra sixty bucks. When they were going to get gas, it was costing them an extra twenty dollars to fill up. Like. I don't think you directly saw it, but indirectly, but let's it was be honest. more expensive. They yeah. said this originally, how many years ago? Three years ago? This is transitory inflation. Transitory. Yeah. Yeah. Transitory, right? Wasn't that the name, mean? right? Like yeah. No, but it really is transitory. You just didn't have the patience and perseverance like a good developer, eh? Or a good investor, <laughs> yeah. like stick with it. Because what happened was, is you locked down the economy for three years. Yeah. You're going to have a lack of immigration. You're going to have a labor crisis. You're going to have people who just retire from the labor market. And of course, if you stop the economy, you're going to have a supply chain issue. Exactly what happened. Well, notwithstanding that. Relax, dude. Wait a couple of years for things to get back to normal. Well, notwithstanding that, you know, just talking about the lockdowns, like people weren't spending any money. So they were doing things to bring them joy. So they went out and bought a new shirt. They went out and bought a new bag. That does not bring me joy. A new shirt? Really? That was your example? I'm just saying. like Whatever you want. Yeah, a new watch. A new experience. A 90 inch screen TV. Now we're talking. But my my whole thing is, so what? Someone did that. It's their money. They could do whatever they want with it. And now you're just penalizing people because they saved money. They had nothing to do for three years because we were all cooped up in our homes. And now you're penalizing everyone that we were already penalized for three years. And now we're still feeling the effects of being penalized. And the people who still were able to work, because I understand there was a lot of people who lost their jobs, who did put in that dedication, who got raises, it literally didn't help them at all. Yeah. So yeah. the reality is, is it's, you know, 
this whole thing is manufactured and we just need to get out of this. And I think we're, the numbers are starting to show that we are out of this, but I just don't think they have a way to be able to recoil and say, hey, we messed up. Now we don't know how to fix it. They need to let it fix itself all exactly. the time. That. And that's the point. <laughs> that's the no, no, but that is the point. That yeah. Because they're overshooting now, and that's why I said raise rates. Yeah. Raise it so that you overshoot it. And I know it's temporary pain for people, yeah. but very quickly the media will turn around and say, oh my Let's God, everyone's in so much pain. We have to stop. And all yeah. of a sudden, all the human people who are making these human errors based on public opinion will wake up and say, hey, you know what? Let's just stop meddling. But why Let's does it need to get to that point though? Because it's ridiculous. I, it doesn't need to get to that point. It, exactly. It's ridiculous. This politics yeah. and just that concept of we have very weak leaders in today's I, I honestly think it's yeah. also that people yeah. just need to point the finger. The, you know, the Bank of Canada is going to say, oh, well, the media is talking and now people are saying it's too much. They can't make a decision. They just need to be able to point the finger. We did this because of this. No, we it's don't have strong leadership. Even the Bank of Canada, to, uh, Trudeau, we just don't have strong leadership with the leaders who are saying, this is what's right for the world, yeah. even though it's not popular right now. Yeah. And what's right for the world is to let's let things spiral out of control a little bit because it will it will just balance out. Well, isn't that why we are in a capitalistic society? That's supposed to happen? Pass right? that. Let it figure out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, works. I know. Yeah, but it's coming back. And, and what's amazing about all this, and what's amazing, because again, it's frustrating, it's not what should happen. But because we have this, there's a silver lining here again. And the silver lining is because they're their own worst enemy, mm. they'll just make affordability that much more difficult. They won't solve the crisis. And again, housing becomes more and more rare. I'm curious. That's the bottom guys, lines. Yeah. I'm curious when you guys are, you know, looking at developing and things like that, you guys, I'm sure, look at what's happening with the world in regards to the currency with Russia and China and the Yuan and BRICS. Like, Thoughts on that? Like, what do you guys think is going yeah, to happen so the American I mean, dollar? The American dollar, yeah. Well, the American dollar, the stronger Canadian, listen, a weak, Amer a weak Canadian dollar is actually pretty good when you allow foreign income. I think one of the big mistakes is banning foreign buyers. Mm. You need foreign buyers. Now, what's interesting is there never was that many foreign buyers to begin with, but it was, was it was foreign confidence. You know, uh, we had a buyer that? who came to one of our projects, but they lived here, but they didn't want to invest because there's no foreign buyers. Why? It shows you, oh, my money's not safe. The government can restrict Thing, who who my buying pool is, right? But what you really need to understand is that when you have a low a low Canadian dollar and people are getting paid in American dollars, it's that much cheaper. Right now, Canada's on sale. Yeah. There's just very few people I who are coming. sales. <laughs> what the hell is wrong with I you? Hate sales. Sales. Nothing ever good came out of a sale. Are you get so me? I always feel like he up sales. I always thought that I'm getting ripped off out of sale. Because it's something that somebody else doesn't want. That to me is a sale. But right now, Canada's at 35% off, 37% off. So, okay, so yeah. you say that, and I, I agree with you personally. Like, I, that's the dialogue I'm having with my clients every day, saying, guys, just look back, just read. Two buyers bought one of our condominiums recently. Yeah. They're both in the shipping business. They get paid in American dollars. They're like, yeah, ka-ching. For 37% off. I'm t I have friends in America. I'm like, yeah. guys, you guys are silly. Like, just put, put a deposit down. Now, they're Canadian citizens that are working in America. But you have it even better. Like, you can actually buy this thing yeah. where a lot of people can't, right? But um, I, I want to go back to that whole confidence thing, right? Because that is what economics is. A lot of it yeah. is. Like it's actually confidence in motion Subaru from earlier, but I changed it to consistency in motion. Just, yeah. I don't know if I want to pick is that, that up the, Is that the title? It's confidence in motion. Oh, I, I switched it to that. consistency in motion. strange that you know that. It sounded good. Actually, Subaru is the best thing that Subaru. So I don't know knows this. Do you remember that ad that they used to have? They had the Subaru. I know nothing about Subaru. Oh, okay. so they had an ad, the Honda Accord, and then they had the Subaru. And they wrote Accord, by definition, a compromise. 
Oh, wow. Why do you know so much about this? It's advertising. He owns some stock in Subaru. For no. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, in September, this whole confidence thing, right? Mm. And we know that a lot of economics is just your, your mindset, people's emotions, again, what the news is telling them or whatever. But when in September, if, you, if Benjamin Tall is right, and I, he's not the first one, and you're not the first one who I've heard say that, that well, he's fundamentally that. right. So if it happens in September, great. If it happens in October or November or December, we don't know. But fundamentally, he's fundamentally. Right. Yeah. But do you think that it's there's gonna be there's gonna have to be like a sort of event that that just gets people to say nothing's gonna the rates are not gonna change. This is what it is. We need to get in. We waited 18 months. Nothing happened. Typically, downturns last 18 to 24 months. It's already been 18 months. Yeah, we have no choice. We need a place to live. We. It seems like it's getting more and more affordable. Let's jump in. You think that's what's going to happen? You think there's going to be an event or it's just... I don't know if there's an event per se. I mean, we've seen... Mar like, look at markets. Like, just one day to the next can change that sentiment. Um, so, I don't know if there's particularly a, an event that needs to happen, but I think it will change overnight. So, you advise now anyone who's listening to this wants to get into real estate, do it now before it's too late. Honestly, anybody who looks at the past and says who was successful in real estate were those that were consistent. And those that, even though there was a downturns, they kept putting their dollar in that year. They bought in the low, they bought in the low, they bought in the low, and they kept buying and buying and buying. And then 30 years later, it's always worth more. So what's interesting, take a look at the last 10 years in real estate. And I actually did this in condo pricing. And the average is 7.3% of what the price has rose in the last 10 years, year over year, despite downturns. Look at over a 20-year period, it's even more. 30-year period, it's even more. But what happens is that despite the ups and despite the downs on when you got on, when you got out, years later, it's always worth more. That's why I don't buy money. I buy an old. That's all you say to clients is, listen, if you're getting into it, hoping for some appreciation within the next year or so, that's gambling. Like you're not, you don't know what's going to happen, yeah. right? You're in real estate because it's a long man's game. Exactly. Right. It's the smart man's game. If you want an immediate gratification, you can go to the stock market where you can have liquidity. Or crypto. Or crypto. <laughs> but if you want, you know, tried and true consistency. That's and that's kind of like what we were talking about before um, about, uh, there was that lady in the news. I don't know if you guys saw it. And she's in Mississauga. She took out a home equity line of credit on her owner-occupied house. And she bought an investment property, assuming the tenants. And uh, the tenants right out the gate were like, yeah, we're not paying you any rent. And she went to the news outlets and said, you know what? It's taking me too long to evict them. As we know, it's going to take about eight months. To, uh, eight months is not even close. But a year or so to get the tenants out. And that's somebody, in my opinion, where they extremely over leveraged themselves, hoping that these people are going to make the payments for her. And if they don't, there doesn't sound like there's a backup plan because apparently she's going to lose her house now. And I said, that's a really, really risky way of approaching real estate where you're kind of depending on tenants, especially in a province mm -hmm. like Ontario, where landlords don't really have too much laws and rights when it comes to eviction. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's getting better because Doug Ford has instituted quite a few new resources to the landlord tenant board. So that is, a, is something the province is doing to improve dramatically the, the process. Um, I'm hoping that it will come to fruition fast. But yes, the system is right now not working towards people. We can talk about rental replacement. They they make it almost impossible to replace a rental replacement, which holds back a huge amount of stock, huge amount of stock in the city. Obviously, when you give municipalities power and counselors, they end up abusing it because they end up listening to the few people that are the noisiest. Yeah. And it's to the detriment of the many. But um, the landlord tenant board is the one thing that the province needs to do more of because you're right. Yeah. You can't let somebody suffer. I can't let a system be broken because of a few. And I don't know if you saw the article earlier today, I, I was mentioning it to Jordan, that there's an entire apartment building. I, I don't want to say all the tenants in there, but many of them who are on a rent strike. 
So the landlord said, okay, I'm filing for eviction. Yeah. <laughs> and as they should, like they no should. one should be living in a place for free. If you wanted that, you could buy your own place and hopefully never have a mortgage, right? Like the reality is, is we all are, we have mortgages, we have to pay rent. So why doesn't a person who's renting from somebody have to pay rent? Like the reality is, is we all have somebody to pay. We always have somebody to answer to. So we Tell also, we also Jeez. as landlords have, have payments that we need to make. So why is it fair that someone's living in a place for free? It well, makes no sense. In that story though, where they, where the landlord trying to increase the rent, I think they were trying to increase it by a disproportionate amount, like an amount that they weren't allowed to increase it. We don't know all the details. Yeah. We don't know if they, they did the renovation approach or what. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, it's everybody's right. He's obviously filing for eviction. I think if he thought he did something wrong, he wouldn't go that far because the will probably the tenants favors. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously there's stuff we don't know about for sure. High the scenes. I know we're cutting it very close on time. Um, I just wanted to ask you about in recent news, obviously the media likes to highlight negativity because it's what we as humans are supposedly attracted to. But there have been builders and, and other companies that there are always, if you're in the industry, there are always cracks in these companies that we know about, but the consumers may not be aware about. And more recently, there was some like serious embezzlement and some sort of, you know, different accusations pertaining to this one home builder. What are your thoughts as a builder when a builder does that? What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, it's awful for embezzlement. I think that as a whole, though, there's less embezzlement in the in the home builder industry than in any other industry. You've heard about this one story, and you can count on your fingertips. How many other stories? How many other stories there are? Going into the jewelry business, I'll tell you after about what, 15 billion stories, right? Yeah. Um, in most industries, there's a hell of a lot more embezzlement, but we're a pretty regulated industry. It's very rare to have such a story. There obviously are a couple of them because that's the way the world works, but it's not a commonplace. It's very rare. I want to ask you, like, uh, there was two scenarios or situations I wanted to ask you about. That was one of them. And the other one is a little bit closer to home sure. with a parent, with a parent, I don't want to say a parent company, but a family member's company that you mentioned earlier on the show. Uh -huh. So I live across the street from there's this massive fire that took place in Vaughn at- Oh, by Uncle George at Linvest. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, goes without saying that a lot of people are like, oh, insurance scam, insurance scam. And I'm like, guys, I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Too Was funny. that your first time hearing that? Yeah, that's my first time. I don't, how many people said that? And I go, guys, these are big boys we're talking about. And there's, I know another partner on the site. And I said, these are big boys that we know. I go, there's no need for an insurance scam. What are you going to get insurance on? The, the, the lumber that was up, like the, maybe the foundation, I don't, like, I don't get that it. Insurance scam. Insurance scam for 40, 50 homes. What do you say to those people? Guys, I mean, with all due respect, that George Hofstra doesn't need an insurance scam. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's the punch you have. You were right there. there. You have it. Uh, you know, no, I mean, listen, unfortunately, in um, fires do happen on site. It does happen. It's not the first time and it won't be the last time. They're wood for crying out loud. Untreated wood at that point, right? Mm -hmm. So you're gonna have fires. Um, Linvest is a giant company. It's part of a very large family with a lot of legacy projects into it. It's a huge nuisance when you have something like this. Um, it, it's just a comical. Oh God, that's a comical. It's just comical. It's it's like, like, you know, that. you're like, no, come on, buddy. It, I made it to Global News yeah. that night. I feel like I saw you. The shot, I was like, this makes me look like uh, I had my like, shades on. It was so sunny, <laughs> fiery and smoky. And I was like, you know, this, this is a bad look for me. Words of wisdom for not only the younger generations looking to get into the market, your final thoughts, words of wisdom, but also 
you know, maybe for Canadians as a whole, because you guys get to travel a lot. You get to see what, how other people are living around the world. Maybe share those words. I think words of wisdom for me, and I think it's just a testament of who I am, is consistency is key. When shit's bad, it's going to get good. Stay consistent through it being bad, and you'll be able to revel in the fact that it's good. Um, I think that's the way I live my life. I think it's the words of advice that I could give to anybody. And, you know, just for, for Canadians coming in, I mean, you know, we talked about people saying that they wanted to wait to buy real estate. I've never met one person who said that they waited to buy real estate, that they didn't regret that they waited after that time. There's never a good time. It's never easy and it's never going to get easier. Um, sometimes you just have to take the plunge and that's the only way that reward is, is when there's risk. It's really all I can, I can think in my mind in terms of, of advice or kind of words to give to anybody who's looking to come to Canada or invest in Canada. I love it. And my words of advice is that Toronto is a very dynamic city. Find something that's unique, that's rare. Find something that talks to you and get involved with it. And it, like Jordan said, it's going to be scary. Take the plunge. Because if you want to be rewarded. Isn't take the plunge from... Uh, the Nesty commercial. Yes. <laughs> that's him. That's him. I'm going to say it like with shit. What's going on here? Just do it. Just do it. Who gave them that? I was watching the movie. Who gave them that quote? Just I do it. I haven't watched the movie. I really want to. It was oh, so it's great. Movie. Oh, I need to watch it. Oh it, my goodness! It was full like of good actors and stuff. It was, like I liked it, but it was slow kind of at the beginning. But it was good. It was a good movie. But where did they get "Just Do It" from? I, I forget. It was a. It, it was actually very simple how they came up with it. But usually, the best things in life are simple. Yeah. Yeah, I, that was a good one. Yeah. <laughs> Mic drop. Mic drop. <laughs> well, guys, if you made it to the end of this episode, connect with these two at All Tree Developments. They're on Instagram. They're on social media. Anywhere else you guys would like the audience to connect with you guys? Sure. We're on Instagram. We're on social media, like you said, at our website. Join our mailing lists. Um, we have lots of projects for sale. Um, Kingside Residences, which we just launched recently. Yes. Truly unique. This is a really unique one in its location and where it is and it's beachside living and it's crazy terraces. Again, everything that we do has a unique touch to it um, because we believe in that concept of it's going to get rarer and rarer. So you might as well get the rarest of the rare within the rare, right? <laughs> so you can find a really good building that has a unique offering, whether it be yep. the crazy vistas of the bluffs, the beachside access that makes this glass unique. There's glass elevators or crazy terraces or something that makes this unique. It will amplify that return that much more. And plus, you're one of the developers that you are building communities and not necessarily one-off buildings. And so there's more to come. Absolutely. You know it is safe. It's always more than one building. That's right. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. Again, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for coming on. Thank yeah, thanks you for having us. Yeah. And until next time, you guys. We're out. We're out. <laughs>